Welcome to Mind Money Balance, the no guilt, no shame podcast to help you get your mind and money in balance. I'm your host, Lindsay. I'm a financial therapist and coach, woman of color, and popcorn connoisseur. I am so glad you're here. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast. Last week, I shared I'd be recording an episode on therapists and retirement. I changed my mind for a few reasons, but I promise I won't leave you hanging if you were interested in covering therapists and retirement. I kind of sat with it and realized that it definitely requires a deeper dive and more spaciousness than a quick hit podcast. So instead, I'm partnering with Herd to talk about retirement today at 3 p.m. So me, Lindsay from Mind Money Balance and Andrew from Herd, and we are going to talk to you about the basics of retirement for private practice therapists. We'll cover what retirement means, what business entities are available and why they matter, what retirement plan options you can choose from and how to contribute to them. And if you attend live, you'll have time to ask Andrew and myself questions. And if you are listening to this after 3 p.m. on what what day is today, March 28th of 2022, don't worry about it. It will also be available to purchase. Whether you attend live or purchase the recording, it will be $39, and I will link to it in today's show notes. As always, the show notes are at mindmoneybalance.com slash podcast one. That's the number. And then from there, you can see all of the different podcast episodes and all the different links to things that I cover. The second reason I wanted to shift gears and talk about building self-trust as a therapist in private practice was because last week I spoke about the problems with free therapy summits. And as a quick refresher, it was not about saying this person is bad or these people are bad for hosting them or for being speakers. It was about saying, like, let's think think curiously and critically about why these are happening and why these are popping up and how we as therapists can advocate for more economic and financial equity within the online space by saying no to working for free and by checking in with ourselves and seeing if we're actually going to get something out of it. And so social media doesn't tell me everything, but I posted a few little like audio clips and like show note What's what's the word I'm looking for? Graphics. Wow. Whoo, words. And posted a few graphics pulled from the podcast. And what was really interesting was that people were not willing to comment directly on the the reel or on the Instagram post, but instead a ton of you slid into my DMs. And that gave me some really good insight that a lot of you we're not comfortable, which is totally fine. I've been doing this for a minute, but a lot of you were not comfortable saying, hey, I agree with you. Yes, these these summits can be really exploitative or I never knew why they felt so bad. Thank you for putting words to them. And I'm, I'm happy that I was able to do that. But I got so many DMs with your fears about being in these summits or participating in these summits, anxieties about how then to go about asking for financial compensation, and these this discomfort of saying, yes, I, I wanted to speak at that event, and then after I signed on, I realized 
just kind of what kind of scheme the the hosts were pulling. And I felt really uncomfortable, but I'd signed a contract and, and couldn't back out. And then in truly ironic, but like you can't make this shit up fashion, I literally had someone DM me two days after last week's podcast episode went live asking me to be a speaker at their Therapists Who Are Moms event without compensation. I was like, am I being catfished right now? Like, is this a joke? Like, I just spent, you know, all week, I felt like, talking about the importance of therapists asking for compensation or for at least equitable exchange. And I had somebody ask me to work for free. So it also sparked this idea. This is all the more reason for today's topic on the importance of building self-trust as a therapist. In today's episode, I'm going to dive into why I think therapists struggle to trust themselves, how it tends to show up as reassurance seeking, and for therapists in private practice, how having low self-trust can really impact their private practice's financial bottom line. I'll offer some ideas on different exercises or mindset tips you can try out to help work on building that self-confidence in business, okay? So let's start with why I think therapists struggle to really trust themselves. And I think this goes back to our education. In our education and our training, we are told time and time again not to trust yourself, to follow the manual to a T exactly as written to reroute personal questions that a client asks, and to be really cognizant of not disclosing anything of yourself, of really being a blank slate. And I'm not discounting the importance of manualized interventions. Obviously, they've been evidence-based and they've been tested in studies, and it makes sense to have those as a foundation in clinical practice. But we're really taught to question our inner wisdom during our training and during our education, even something as simple as rapport building. So just to refresh your memory, if it's been a minute since you've been in school, rapport building is when therapists connect with their clients to help create a culture and climate of trust and understanding. Even when we're talking about rapport building, therapists are limited to a handful of prescribed questions like, what TV show are you watching? What snacks do you like to eat? And only those types of questions are the types of questions that therapists are allowed to disclose of themselves. It's so incredibly limiting. And of course, it's going to make us judge ourselves when we want to say something maybe a little bit more authentic, maybe a little bit more improvisational, if you will. We question ourselves because our professors, our supervisors, our trainers have told us, don't do that. That's not what this, you know, 65-year-old manual says. It's not 65 years old. A lot of those CBT manuals are like 40 years old. So anyway, I mean, I can remember an interesting example. I did my internship, like many people, at a community mental health, and I had to kind of debrief with my supervisor or professor. I can't remember the exact title of the person. But I remember sharing with them that respond. I followed the rules. A young client had asked me, what are you? And for those of you who can't see me or who've never seen a picture of me, I am a white passing mixed Asian woman. So it is not uncommon to be asked about my race. So when they asked me, what am I? 
I responded to this young client who is probably just being very genuinely curious and wondering if they could join with me because we were both of mixed heritages. I had to say, what makes you ask? And I can remember the air just like flowing out of the room or being sucked out of the room, whatever that phrase is. Because here's the thing, I can't easily hide that I'm racially, ethnically ambiguous. I have no problem disclosing my racial background. I have no problem disclosing, when appropriate, my religious practices. I have no problem disclosing, when appropriate, that I too have struggled with mental illness, both, not both, all, anxiety, depression, and an eating disorder. To me, humanity and connection are a cornerstone of the therapeutic process, but it has been so sterilized in therapy practices that it can feel cold. And so when we are trained, don't trust yourself, don't really build rapport unless it's super strategic, it can make our therapy process with our clients Or it can make us feel like we can't trust ourselves. So when it comes to transitioning into being a private practice owner, it can be really tricky to ask ourselves as therapists in private practice, do I know what's best for me and what's best for my practice? And do I know, can I trust myself? Because historically in my training and in my clinical teachings, I've been taught and told to not trust myself. So it can be really, really hard. So I find a lot of therapists move into like the next best thing, which is reading a lot of books. And in private practice, there are a handful of books about how to start a private practice. But more commonly today, what therapists in private practice are doing is researching what someone else does and trying to follow their model or their flagship steps or their signature 10-step program to filling their practice, whatever it is. Like, we love a manual. We love a model. So we want to do that. And one of the most common ways I see self-trust manifest in therapists who are in private practice is by reassurance seeking. We all know what reassurance seeking can look like from our client end, right? That's when a, a client or a person is seeking out proof that things are really okay by asking others by asking themselves or by researching. So in private practice therapists who are trying to fill or grow their private practices, so many therapists lean on reassurance seeking in the form of external validation and researching. I don't see a ton of therapists doing this internal reassurance seeking, like asking themselves, because again, our self-trust has been, we've been told not to trust it. So When it comes to reassurance seeking, I shared that there's kind of these two things. We're looking for external validation and we're looking for a researcher to tell us or research rather to tell us. Not necessarily researcher, but we spend a lot of time online or listening to podcasts or following people on social media to kind of soothe our anxiety. So when it comes to reassurance seeking, this can look like a therapist asking their peers, supervisor, or other people in the online space if what they're doing in their private practice is okay. So we've seen so many of these questions show up, whether it's people DMing me, I'm no longer on Facebook, but what I was, I would see these types of questions everywhere. Is it okay to leave insurance panels? Am I a bad therapist if I don't want to work with X population? When is it okay to raise my rates, right? We're seeking for somebody else to tell us an answer that we inherently and intuitively already know the answer to, but our self-trust has been so shattered that we seek external validation. 
then the research nowadays really looks like looking for evidence outside of themselves. So in online forums, in therapy groups, via Google, via Reddit. This is another way that I see therapists seek reassurance on, am I doing the right thing in my business? And so examples of this can look like spending way too much time debating between EHR companies, trying to figure out the right shade of blue for their logo, or coach and program hopping. Like, I need more info. I need more info. I need more info. And not really spending a lot of time implementing and trying and seeing what feels good in their bodies and seeing what works in their business. So a lot of this reassurance on, am I doing this right by researching? So when therapists have low self-trust, they can experience negative self-talk. And of course, their private practices suffer as well. So we want to think about how can we move towards self-trust. And self-trust is when a person can trust in their own knowledge, feelings, beliefs, values, ideas. And when we don't trust ourselves, it can really impact the way that we show up in and out of the therapy room. And specifically for today's podcast, how it shows up in the therapy room, but also how it shows up in our businesses. When a therapist experiences low self-trust, they might be seeking external validation and advice from others who they deem to be more successful in private practice. They might ask additional information and opinions of others when deep down they know what they want to do, but they still want to hear it from somebody else. They might underestimate their unique skill set and how their unique skill set, identity, view of the world, experience of the world might contribute to a successful practice. And instead, they kind of push it aside and seek out more conferences, more continuing education credits, more certifications, instead of just trusting that they have so much to offer. They also might hold off on doing things in the business side that feels bad when it comes to money. So they might hold off on raising their rates, reducing their caseload, or changing their schedule until they get enough validation from others that it's okay. They may also engage in distraction or avoidance when it comes to taking action on something in their business that makes them feel a little bit uncomfortable. So they might put off taking the next step in their practice. And finally, another way I see low self-trust show up as in therapists and private practice is they underemphasize their own thoughts, their own feelings, their own insights about what's best for their practice. Instead of reassurance seeking and self-doubt, let's move into what can we do? What are some exercises? What are some practices that we can take to start strengthening our self-trust? When I coach and work with other private practice owners, the business strategies and tactics that work best for them are the ones that they actually want to do, are the ones that, like, duh, that they feel best about. So cultivating self-trust can happen via self-trust mindset practices or testing out a few self-trust exercises. So a few things that I like are finding a self-trust mantra or affirmation that works for you. As always, when you're trying on a, a mantra or an affirmation, 
give it a little bit of spaciousness by putting something like someday all dot 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 someday I'll be able to confidently raise my fees or I'm working toward. I'm working toward making a decision on what my ideal client is. When I was a student, I had some pretty intense test-taking anxiety. So my go-to mantra then was, Lindsay, you know more than you think you do. And to this day, I use that phrase, you, knew more, you know more than you think you do. When I'm giving a presentation, when I'm getting ready to onboard or do an intake for a new client, or when I'm doing something like this and, and recording a podcast and putting my voice out there. Other types of practices I like are asking yourself a time-based question to help elicit the answer that's already within inside you, or already within you. For example, if I had to choose a logo by the end of the day, which one would I choose? Or if my website went live tomorrow morning, what would be the most important thing to have included on it? Asking ourselves these sort of time-based questions can help kind of coerce, not coerce, that doesn't feel right, but help elicit an answer that may already be within us. I also like to invite clinicians to practice self-compassion, not just being nice to ourselves, but by celebrating wins. We're really well-versed in practicing self-compassion and by being kind to ourselves, or at least we are familiar with that idea, but it's so rare that we celebrate our wins. In the therapeutic space, it's so rare to be like, holy shit, I just had a breakthrough with a client. That felt amazing. Like, we just, like, keep that to ourselves. And when it comes to self-trust, we can also dial it up by including some examples of times when we trusted ourselves and when we had good outcomes. So it could be a good outcome clinically or it could be a good outcome in your business, right? So for example, celebrating a win for a private practice therapist could be, oh my gosh, I networked with this amazing wellness-based primary care provider and the two of us are going to do a collaborative workshop and it feels like such a good win for both their clients and my clients and whomever may be in the room with us, right? That could be a really great referral source and network win. I also think it's important to do congruence check-ins, right? This is coming from more of that psychodynamic lens, but is what you are doing in your business in alignment with the values of the version of yourself in a sustainable business? So is cold messaging 30 people on Facebook to see if they want to work with you really in alignment with your values of respecting the inherent dignity and worth of a person. You might be like, yes, that feels so good. It's so in alignment with my highest version of a sustainable business owner. Or you might be going, no fucking way, I'm not doing that. And just because a business coach told me to do it, I can really stand in my strength and say, nope, that tactic is not going to work for me. And finally, asking for help. It can sound weird to lump asking for help into self-trust, but in private practice, we really have a tendency to do it all. And cultivating self-trust also means knowing what you're good at and knowing where you could use help or you are not doing something that is really the best use of your time, energy, or frankly, like even things that you just don't want to do. So asking for help with things like, marketing, accounting, or fee setting, if those are the things that are outside of your area of expertise, is a great way to practice self-trust. It's saying, 
I trust that I can knock out of the park my clinical game and I know the type of niche of client I want to work with. But when it comes to getting those words out of my head and writing my website copy, that's rarely where I need I need some backup. Or I know what my fee should be, but getting it updated on my practice policies and putting it on my paperwork and actually telling clients is I'm just frozen and I need a little bit of coaching help through that. So building self-confidence or building self-trust in business is a process. It takes time. And I regularly say to my other small business owners that being a small business owner really unearths so many issues (laughs) within us, right? It really kind of cracks us open in a way to be incredibly vulnerable and have a lot of things out there in the world that we thought maybe we could kind of stuff away. And being a private practice owner means facing a lot of uncomfortable realities. It's not as easy breezy as like throwing up a a beautiful website and then you'll just be swimming in money tomorrow. Like so many therapists who are in the coaching space and online business space will have you believe. While I love being a private practice owner, I say it all the time, I'm about 80% thrilled with my job. Really, I love what I do, but it doesn't mean that I don't experience intense periods of loneliness as a small business owner, of confusion, and wrestling with a ton of self-doubt and walking myself through those very same self-trust exercises and questions that I just walked you through. I'm a firm believer that in order to have a successful private practice, you have to do it in the way that works best for you. I talked about that a little bit last week when I said when it comes to ethical marketing, you're going to show up more authentically when you want to do it in the way that you want to do it. If you love writing newsletters as though you're talking directly to one person, then write an email newsletter. If you love speaking and being on stage, you could have a podcast or pitch yourself to be a paid speaker. If you really are a social media junkie and that is where you hang out and where you spend your time, then by all means, pick a social media platform where you want to hang out and show up there. Your business will grow when you ask yourself, how do I want to show up? Are these different marketing techniques in alignment with me? Can I trust myself that I'll show up in this way? Can I trust that this is in alignment with my energy and congruent with the version of myself I want to be? So getting external help and accountability will help you, right? I'm not opposed to getting a coach or joining a program or a membership or whatever it may be. As long as the coach or program or membership is really clear about what they do and you can go check, check, check. That's what I want. That's what I need. They have a similar set of ethics and values and a mission as me And that feels like a person I can safely grow with versus the coach who is saying things like, if you don't hire me, you're going to end up back in your agency job tomorrow. I'm obviously being dramatic. I don't know any people like that, but I'm sure those types of folks are out there. Before I wrap up, if you are a therapist and if you are thinking about investing in your financial future, I want you to think about your own retirement accounts. Are you saving money regularly in a retirement account so that you can actually hang up the therapy scarf and put away the therapy mug someday? What does your version of retirement look like? How are you 
preparing yourself for the financial realities of retirement. If you have questions about therapists and retirement, a reminder that I'm partnering up with Herd and we are going to answer your questions about therapists and retirement. We are going to cover what retirement means, what business entities are available to you, what different plan options you can choose from as a self-employed person and how to contribute to them. I will link to the therapist and retirement workshop in the show notes. It is $39. We are going live today at 3 p.m. Eastern if you're listening to this in real time. And if you miss it and you're catching this in in the future or after, after we've already gone live, don't worry about it. You can always purchase the recording. Whether you attend live or want to come later, the, the cost is the same. It's $39, but it is great if you show up live because we'll have time to answer your questions. And with that, I'll see you next week. Neither the host or guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, medical, or other professional information. If you want professional help, please seek it out.